Hi, welcome to Entitled to Life, a podcast about healthcare activism, policy, and politics. I'm Paul Gibbs, your co-host, and this is Katie Drake, our other co-host. Hey, everyone. They can't see you waving, Katie. It's a it's an honor. It's okay. I can't help it. It's a Zoom thing, right? We all do it. Yeah, I, it, you know, I, I think they feel it. <laughs> yes, feel. Feel the waves that I'm sending to you. Today, we are talking about misinformation and conspiracy theories in the age of COVID-19. We have two guests today. In our first half hour, we are talking to Katie Matheson, the Communications Director for the Alliance for a Better Utah. So welcome, Katie. Matheson. Thank you. It's, it's going to be confusing yeah. when I say Katie, because I have to specify <laughs> which uh, yeah. we're talking to. Um, so we've talked a little bit about this subject before, Katie Matheson, um, about how misinformation and conspiracy theories in general are causing a lot of a lot of difficulty in politics and has obviously a negative effect. Lying rarely has a positive effect. It just kind of works that way. But with COVID-19 in particular, this is a major concern. Do you think that that there's an unusual number of conspiracy theories and misinformation now, or is it just a bigger problem than we're used to? So with the pandemic, I would say, taking a holistic look, we have seen it impact, well, it's kind of shown where our weaknesses are in all of our systems, right? We have weaknesses in our healthcare systems, which is not news. Progressives have been saying this for years, right? Um, we have weaknesses in terms of how we protect renters. We have weaknesses in terms of racial disparities and health outcomes um, across, you know, across the whole country. And you, you, the United States also has a conspiracy theory problem. And COVID, just like with everything else, has really exacerbated what has already been there and really brought it um, to the fore. I, I really think it has. And I think part of the reason for that is because... As I think about it, um, I, I've worked for, for years part-time at the Clark Planetarium, and I, I've done presentations, that live astronomy presentations, and my, my friend Seth Jarvis, who used to be the director there for years, did a really excellent presentation about disproving the idea that the moon landing was a hoax, which is actually surprisingly, surprisingly easy to do. If you've taken one semester of introduction to photography, you know why all of the so-called photographic evidence is, is easily disproven. But he talked about why people want to believe in conspiracy theories, about how it gives people a feeling of control to believe they know something that other people don't. And I think that that is really extremely relevant in the pandemic because, because if we accept what's really going on, I mean, I... I freely admit that I'm terrified by COVID-19. You know, yeah. I could very easily be somebody who died from this. And I don't know if I've ever had such a feeling of lack of control in my life. And I think people believing in these things, it does give them that feeling of control to think, oh, it, it's not real. I can just do whatever I want. Um, so what, what do you think are some, let's talk about what totally. some, some of the misinformation is, some of the big conspiracy theories that are out there with COVID-19. Oh, I mean, to start with, of course, there's, there's the whole idea that it's some sort of hope. <laughs> yeah. 
that it's not real. Um, right. Well, yeah, there's that. The Democrat hoax um, is a fun one for sure, which is that that's like probably one of the more outrageous ones because it's just like flat out saying that it doesn't exist. Um, I have actually, um, so I, I've been um, looking up some of these theories um, that I have encountered because my job, part of my job is social media. Um, I monitor our social media um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And of course, that's where I come face to face with a lot of these um, theories. And it's always fun when a new one pops up and people will start just like copy pasting from some conspiracy theory. And you're like, oh, that's a new one. I have no idea how this makes sense logically. Then you dive into it and you're like, oh, okay, so I see how you, I see where your attempts at logic are going, but it's it's just, it's a wild ride for sure. So there's definitely the, the fact that, you know, the idea that it's a hoax. Um, but a lot of these, um, a lot of these conspiracy theories are actually based in some fact. Mm -hmm. And so that's where it gets really confusing. And that's yeah. what causes people to throw their hands up in the air and say, well, I don't know, because some of this is real and some of it isn't. And it's like a manipulation of facts, um, which is you know, what makes the best conspiracy theories, of course. Like, um, so saying about that, like the best, the best way to be a good liar is to have a, a kernel of truth or at least as close to right. the truth as possible, right? Right, exactly. So like you have ones like the origin of COVID. So, you know, there's the idea that it was created in a lab and in China, and that's really helpful for um, um, high key or low key xenophobes, people who um, are already inclined to uh, dislike people of different races, um, particularly um, people in China, because they want to believe that it was created by the Chinese government to attack us. It was created in a lab, right? They, you know, it also assigns blame outside of just mother nature being a jerk. Um, and then there's this wild one, the 5G towers, which I honestly oh. don't care enough about to have researched it, but I know <laughs> yeah. that there were people who were like, burning down 5g towers do you know more about that one than i do <laughs> i i've just like heard of that one but it was it's one of those things that i'm like wait what it, i i have not heard enough so yeah the first time i heard about this one it was on social media from a woman who had run for city council here in utah not i'm i don't remember which town it was in um but she posted it on there and she goes well i'm just bringing forward ideas you know i don't know if this is true which is what they always say i don't know if this is true or not but i'm just bringing this forward and that was a quick unfriend um and uh, for her but uh th that has resulted in people actually like going and burning down i think in england there was a guy who either burned down or attempted to burn down a, a tower um so that was wild um and then another you know, one in a weird way that reminds me of that reminds me of something that that I keep thinking of over and over again in people's attacks on on media or whatever for for reporting things about the the coronavirus. It reminds me of an, ep an episode of The Simpsons where there is a an asteroid that is discovered coming towards Springfield, and they think it's going to destroy the city, and then it just burns up and doesn't do any damage, but some of the rabble rousers decided to burn down the observatories so this will never happen again and we're I, you know they just want to attack the information source um i just bring that up because that's something <laughs> that comes it comes to my mind all the time lately with great yeah, people. right um you, you yeah, mentioned that something one, there that's, that's wild 
you mentioned there the, um, somebody posting that saying, I don't know if it's true. That is one of my biggest frustrations with misinformation on social media saying, if this is true, it's terrible, or I don't know if it's true, is not fact checking. Don't post it if you don't know if it's true. And that's something that I've been frustrated with going all the way back to the 2008 and 2012 elections. People don't yeah. take responsibility to find out if it's true. They'll just say, oh, I don't know if this is true, but I'm passing it on anyway. Do you think, are there well, things- and the trick, the trick about that is, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm just going to ask if there, are, if you think there are things we can do to to better encourage people to fact check. But go ahead with what you were saying. That well, um, so the the thing about doing that that thing that we were just talking about, where you post it on social and you're like, I don't know if this is true or not, is like a rule in communications is do not put out opposition talking points. If you don't want someone to think about an elephant, do not say elephant. Yeah. Putting in negating words, like they studies show it doesn't work. So if I say, like, for example, if I say um, Donald Trump is not a thief, people are just going to go Donald Trump thief, right? right. Like that's, you never say the negative message that you don't want people to think of. Instead, you have to reframe it, right? So if you're putting something out there and your qualifier is like, well, I haven't fact-checked this and I don't know if it's true, it doesn't matter because now it's in people's heads, right? And it's people are very simple. The way that we think is very simple. The way that we communicate is super, super simple. A lot of it is done like um, subconsciously. So that's the real danger with that one in particular. When it comes to the question of how we get people to fact-check, I, I don't know how we get people to fact check worse for me than getting people to actually do the work is getting people to believe the work and that's scary like um paul you you probably know this is not specific to covid but you know there um there was a situation a, a week or two ago um during these um the the riots and the protests with uh, surrounding black lives matter um, and a, a former candidate for office from Utah, who is also very well connected to the Utah Republican Party, um, was posting um, incorrect information about Antifa. Yes. There was a white supremacist group that was involved in Charlottesville, um, and, and they put up a fake Antifa Twitter account, and they started tweeting stuff um, with the intent to uh, scare folks who are, um, you know, probably white, probably suburban, probably not under, you know, not understanding or not comfortable with the protests that are happening and, and primed to believe that Antifa is actually going to come and knock on their door and kill everyone in their house. Yes. And so she posted this screenshot online and she was called out, not just by me, but by other people showing that in fact, you are spreading white supremacist information mm -hmm. and the, by virtue of having a screenshot of it on your 19,000 follower Facebook page, you are spreading misinformation. And she deleted my comments and blocked me from commenting again. And that's kind of, that's been a lot of, you know, in personal conversations I've had with people when it comes down to it, it's, it's, well, you know, I don't know if I believe that. I don't know. I just am not comfortable with that information. I don't know if I believe it. And so that for me is the bigger question of how do we, break down people's defenses enough to be like 
humble when it comes to spreading misinformation. And that's the piece that I don't know yet. <laughs> um, I mean, I would say, sorry, go ahead. That's, de that's definitely a problem because people don't, nobody wants to admit that they've been fooled. Even, even people who say, or who are saying, I don't know if this is true, may get offended when you tell them that it isn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's, that's, that's definitely a big part of the problem. Yeah, that mm -hmm. segues really nicely, Paul, into something I want to talk about <laughs> with this, which is um, there's also this other side that I think has been interesting in this COVID crisis where we have things such as mask wearing or um, other things like social distancing that have been proven that they work, right? Like we know that um, maybe wearing a mask doesn't keep it doesn't keep you from getting the virus, but it does prevent you from spreading it to others and things like that, right? We've seen lots of evidence right. of this and things like that. Um, but then there's this backlash where people say that that's a conspiracy theory. And so I think there's, it's been really interesting in this to see the two sides where people then swing around and say these other things are a conspiracy theory that it's, you know, trying to shut down the, um, the yes. economy and things like that. So I'd love to talk about that. If you have any insights, Katie, or, um, yeah, else? well, I can say that I have a deep connection to people not liking masks. Mm -hmm. And that's because we put up, so at the beginning of the pandemic, you know, uh, a lot, sometimes our organization gets involved in things that are um, pretty controversial. And during a pandemic, we really don't want to be stoking fear, right? And so like, what's a positive message that we can put out there that shows that we care about our community? All right, let's put out a message about wearing masks. Wear your mask. Holy cow, that was probably the most controversial ad we've ever put on Facebook. Um, and in fact, it was so controversial and it was taking up so much of my time moderating those comments that I had to shut it off, mm. um, shut off the ad. The image is still up on our Facebook page. Um, so, I think a part of that is because of the nature of the pandemic, right? At the beginning, I was like, all right, I am being told not to wear a mask by the authorities, so I'm not going to wear a mask. I'm going to stay home, and if I have to go out, I'm going to keep away from people, and, and that's what it is. And then the guidance, of course, changed, and I think a lot of people had already, people are looking already for ways to, um, to prove that authority is wrong, that the government is wrong, that the health officials are wrong. And this shift gave them what they needed to say, nope, this is all hoax. Because people are so, people buy, they buy into directives, they buy into people in government. Um, and so, I mean, that's politics in general, like people don't vote with their heads, they vote with their hearts and with their values, right? And so I think the same thing is true here. Um, and I was looking it up in prep for this, and I was looking up a um, Pew, I think that the, the, the root of it, really all of this, not just the COVID conspiracies, but also um, like QAnon conspiracies, which are a trip. Um, but I've been looking at public trust in government polls. Um, uh, Pew Research Center has, them, has like kind of an aggregate here since 1958 to 2019. And if you look at the poll, it, it's, it does okay with, um, it's actually pr quite high during Eisenhower, Kennedy, and Johnson. And it starts to take a dive, you know, not surprisingly, during Nixon's um, tenure. And then it kind of goes up and down. And then it's at a historic high in 2001, because we, um, after 9-11, um, 
and then it continued to go down since. And so what we're experiencing now is massive distrust in our government and ma massive distrust um, in, in authority. And that's, I mean, there is an entire political party that has won elections based on the idea of the deep state, the idea that, you know, there's a cabal of, of you know, bureaucrats working to hurt your life and take away your liberty and take your guns. And, and it's all kind of rooted, I think, the, the inclination to believe in conspiracy theories and disbelieve what authorities are telling you about COVID is rooted really in this, this distrust in public entities that we've been seeing uh, for quite a while. And you know, when you mentioned masks and uh, the fact that they had been saying, don't wear masks and then change that, that's one of the big frustrations to me that people keep tossing it out there is if that's some sort of evidence that this isn't reliable. And that, that betrays an obvious lack of understanding how, of how science works. That yeah, right. when, yeah. when you make, you know, science, Things can change when you have new information. That's, yeah. That doesn't mean that they, that there's some kind of conspiracy. It just means that they know more now than they did a couple of months ago. I really noticed thing. that. I don't know if you guys have about, um, I've seen a lot of my uh, 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 more conservative family members posting a lot about who, the World Health Organization and how I don't trust them. And, you know, well, now they're changing their minds again. And, and I'm like, well, yeah, they have new, inf this is a new yeah. virus we don't know anything about. So we're trying to collect and gather data about it. And they're going to make decisions based on the new information they have. But there's really that flip floppy thing that um, seems to come into play. And um, on the one hand, I can kind of see where you want to stay with that with your values. But with when it comes to science, you need to be able to change based on new information. So that, that, and that, that absolutely do, does play into it when you talk about with values, people are confusing the idea. You know, there's a popular notion that integrity means sticking to your values no matter what. And in some cases, that's a good thing. In some cases, you know, we've talked about this on previous episodes, when, when new information changes the situation, it's not integrity to refuse to to refuse to change your mind based on new information. That's just being stubborn. It's not a good thing. Right, and that's pretty pervasive um, throughout politics right now because it's such a it's because it's such an emotional game and it's such a like a buy-in that you have to do. Um, that's quite common. I mean, you see it reflected in why um, people of political parties don't want to call out their own party, right? It's like there's a there's this buy-in. Um, I mean, like we saw this a version of it just yesterday on Twitter with like Ted Cruz, the the senator from Texas, and he said his tweet was something like, "Pelosi requests, you know, um, statues of Democrat racists removed from the Capitol," and the point was to like compare Democrats to racists, right? Um, and I was like, "Well, yeah, like why would she protect?" Why would one protect the name of a historic racist, even if they're a part of your party? Which is hilarious because Ted Cruz is not calling out the Republican in the White House right now. The, so that, you know, that frustrates me so much for people like Ted Cruz to push this kind of, well, you know, 
Democrats were the party that supported slavery in the Civil War. Yes. And Lincoln is famous for using the federal government to override states' rights in favor <laughs> of civil rights for all. Does that yeah. sound like today's Republican Party? Does that sound like what Ted Cruz supports? That it learn your history. It doesn't mean just because they were called, the parties were called one thing 150 years ago doesn't mean that that's the same things they stand for today. And so I, uh, Lincoln was my first childhood hero and I considered myself a Civil War buff when I was like seven years old. So this, and, <laughs> and back then I thought I was a Republican. So, so I was all over the idea that, see, they've, they were against slavery, but, you know, by the time I was 11, I was figuring out the problems with that thinking. I don't know why Ted Cruz can't, well, I do know why Ted Cruz can't get, get it through his head now. It's because he doesn't want to, and he's going based on his emotions and what he wants to believe rather than learning based on new information. Yeah. I love the idea of Paul at age seven, like, reading those, like, who was Abraham Lincoln books and stuff like that. That's awesome. We have those in our house, but they're like the Kennedys. <laughs> oh, Paul, you're on mute. I, I did like Kennedy too. I, that was, th that was kind of my, I think maybe the first thing that slipped me, put me on the path toward liberalism was that I did like John F. Kennedy. Okay. <laughs> Kennedy is the gateway drug. Yes. <laughs> Kennedy's the gateway drug to sure. liberalism. <laughs> um, so one thing I think that could be beneficial here is I'd love to hear from you guys some of the things that have worked for you in um, in uh, debunking some of these theories. Have you had any success as you've interacted with people in sharing true information or are we just locked in this you know, one side believes one thing and the other side believes the other and we're never going to get over it. What do you guys think? Is there, are there some strategies that we can share with our listeners and with ourselves to help, um, help us combat this misinformation? Well, you know, in general, what I, what I like to tell people and what I like to do is that I won't, I don't like to spread information until I've checked it through at least three news sources. And of course, there, that be, there becomes the issue there of people not knowing the difference between a legitimate news source and, well, Fox, Fox News, not to, to find a point on it, but it, it, taking the time to not just rely on one news source and actually go to multiple places, I think makes a big difference. It's also, I think, really important to be able to, to verify where information is coming from. People are love to say, well, they say that, well, who's they? I look beyond that, look for more than one news source that will actually give some information on who they are and why they're saying it. That I think is so much of the key is understanding the difference between good and bad news, sor news sources and not just picking one that you swear by and taking everything they say as, as gospel. Katie, do you have any, Katie Matheson, do you have any thoughts on that? Anything to search for you, Katie Matheson? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, so I, I think that the it, it depends on what part of the conversation you're having. I think on a federal level, there's not much that we can really do at this moment in time beyond like fix what's broken in Congress and in the White House, right? Um, but on, I think that the closer you get, I mean, like this, this reflects in um, trust scores and trust polls for government, like the further away government is, the less people trust it. So, which is really unfortunate because there's so much value, I think, in what good federal government can be for people's lives. And we've seen it, like, like historically, we've seen the good that people can do, the federal government can do in people's lives. But, you know, you get to, like, for example, federal response on COVID versus, like, Gary Herbert and Spencer Cox response on COVID. The differences in people's approval is, is pretty big um, for the state versus the federal. And then I would say even more locally, people like approve of their local government in general, even if they believe in this giant like cabal of like a one world order that's going to come and take your like eat your children. They do have trust in their local government and it's and it's that's normal that's human it's like the closer someone is to me, the more I have I see them every day, then the more um, I trust them. So I would say groups like um, Alliance for Better Utah, we don't have a huge amount of like we don't have the ability i mean we can fact check but if people are already inclined to think that we are a left-wing um you know yeah organization they're not going to they're not going to trust the information group that for we the democratic out. party is the a, a shadow group for the democratic party is right. Yeah, right right according to the utah gop chair derek brown um, Mia Love called us a pit bull for the liberal left. So, um, um, so one thing I think that is, um, a, uh, that we can fight this is exhaustingly on an individual level. And if you have a relationship with your, you know, Uncle Bob and Uncle Bob is saying stuff, you know, for a long time, you know, American polite American society says you don't say anything. We all just kind of sit there and are quiet, and then we just, you know. And I think that what's interesting about um, this much overdue um, protest, you know, these protests happening with Black Lives Matter right now, is that people are no longer being quiet when Uncle Bob says something, right? People are um, uh, speaking up, and I think that that's that's the way to do it. But we have to meet those folks where they are, and we have to understand where they're at. And sometimes it's a lost cause, but oftentimes it's not. Yeah. Um, and so one thing that really worries me, I'm seeing it more in the context of um, these protests happening now, but also in COVID and also just in the general Trump era, is people, um, you know, admittedly, like my Facebook newsfeed is very liberal, in general, very liberal. Um, but I'm seeing a lot of people say, I can't take it anymore. I'm unfriending people. And I get for mental health reasons that you don't want to see that that stuff kind of put out there. On the other hand, I worry about how it's just, you know, creating more silos. Yeah. And if they don't get information from you, a trusted source, where are they getting information from, right? And they don't have somebody in their lives to push back, then, then they're just going to continue, you know, on down this path. So I think that, you know, the first step is to see what emotional bandwidth you have to do this. Mm -hmm. And then the second is, you know, inform yourself and then start informing others. And these conversations, like we want change to happen now. And these conversations, unfortunately, have to happen over spans of five, 10, 
plus yeah. years, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's about building trust. It's about keeping the lines of communication open. And frankly, it's about letting a lot of really bad information roll off your back yeah. and like prioritizing what you call out in a conversation and about prioritizing what you don't call out in a conversation. And that's true of not just conspiracy theories on COVID, that's true of anti-racism work, that is true of political work, that is true of, of all of this stuff. You know, you don't win a campaign by sending mailers and doing digital ads, you win a campaign by knocking doors, right? Like in making these calls. And so it really is the person to person work, which is always the hard answer because it's exhausting and it takes yeah. a lot of work, but but I mean, that's, that's really how it's done. You know, people are social creatures and we want to have that interaction and it, it's going to, like, that's what's going to save us really. Yeah. I think that's a really great point, Katie, especially um, as you were talking, I was just thinking about how much, um, what a powerful tool social media has been that way in that it allows people to share their individual stories with a much broader audience than we, we formerly have. And I've seen that really change hearts and minds of people that I know and care about of, you know, something bad happened to, uh, you know, someone in their neighborhood or something. And, and even without COVID it's, oh my gosh, suddenly these people can't afford to pay their medical bills wait a minute, we need better healthcare coverage. And, and it's like, yeah, that's what we've been saying for a long time. And right. like that, those, those real, those personal stories can really have a huge impact on changing folks' hearts and minds that way. Oh, Paul, you're on mute again. <laughs> Sorry, Peter, my 16 month old has wandered into the studio. Where I'm recording this. And so I'm trying to mute it to keep as much of his playing out of the sound as possible. But um, I was going to say that I think that I completely agree with everything both of you have been saying. I hear so often people say, oh, there's no point in talking about all this stuff on social media or whatever. Nobody's going to have their minds changed. That's just not true. In, in six or seven years of talking so much about my own healthcare experiences, I have seen so many people who were violently against Obamacare or socialized medicine or whatever who who heard my story and saw that somebody who, who wasn't crazy, who was their friend, who, who goes to the same church they do or whatever, is, is talking about how this affects him personally. And I have people who, who six years ago were totally into all the Obama conspiracy theories and I, I went into them and they walk up to me and they want to know who, who are you supporting for president because we've got to have somebody that will do something about healthcare. It's so important. And I'm amazed sometimes and really, really touched by how much people are coming around because, because they are listening to what I have to say. And I'm not trying to make myself sound like I'm changing everybody's mind single-handedly, but pe people listen when somebody they trust talks calmly and rationally and, and especially with their own experience, those personal voices, that, that's why I do this, because the personal voices do make a big difference in these conversations. Yeah, they may be one of the few things that actually do make a big difference, right? I mean, like, I, like we have this unspoken rule in America, don't talk about religion or politics at the dinner table. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Those are the only two things we should be talking about at the dinner table is religion and politics. Like, <laughs> that's how you, that's how you, like what, what good is it to, to hide? And I understand it's really hard sometimes to, to speak up when someone is saying, 
um, something that's completely egregious. And like, it is important to know when a conversation cannot go further. And then you just have to protect yourself from that. And I've, I've done that in some instances where I'm like, this is going nowhere. You are taking up my time. You, you enjoy the debate. And, and I, I debate for a living. Like, I'm not going to have this conversation with you on the weekend. Yeah. Um, but other, other times, like I've had friends, um, a family friend of ours, he, uh, he worked with my husband and he, uh, thinks that he thought that Mia Love was too liberal. He was, he was in the fourth district and I lived in the fourth district. He's very wow. like libertarian minded, got all his guns. He's got, you know, he buys gold because Glenn Beck tells him to buy gold. Anyway, so he and I would like yell at each other sometimes about politics because we disagreed but there was always this check-in like are you okay like just checking in like we're okay having this conversation this aggressively and it was great and after the parkland shooting the horrific parkland shooting in florida um i asked him to take me shooting to a gun range um and i wanted him to take me because i wanted to understand how like what it meant when i was talking about guns and also I wanted to, you know, have a conversation because I felt safe enough with him to have this conversation. And he was beside himself with excitement that I would ask him this. And so we went and we we had an hour plus long time, you know, shooting time at the gun range. And then we sat down and I bought him lunch and we chatted for an hour about um, guns. And his big thing is like, the government's coming to take my guns. And we chatted about it. And at the end of this conversation, we landed where we both agreed on universal background checks. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, that was a huge, like that took a lot of my time and like my mental energy and emotional energy. And yet here we are and we're still good friends. Yeah. So I think it's stuff like that. That's very helpful. Agreed. Awesome. Absolutely. We are, are pretty much out of time here. Katie Matheson, thank you so much for joining us today. Katie Drake, you're always here. I don't have to thank you. Um, <laughs> Um, Part of the furniture. <laughs> so we'll, we'll go now and then we'll be back with our second guest, Peter Morley, who is a healthcare advocate from New York City, who has a very personal story about how this misinformation during COVID-19 has affected him. Thank you so much and we'll be right back. We're here with our second guest for today, Peter Morley. Peter is a healthcare advocate in New York City who I met when he was testifying to the House Committee on Oversight and Reform at the same time that I did. Peter is one of the most amazing healthcare advocates that I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. He has, um, I, Peter, I know I'm going to get the list of conditions that you deal with and have dealt with <laughs> wrong or at least missed some of them, but he's survived kidney cancer. He lives with lupus and while he's dealing with these serious conditions, he is going back and forth from New York and Washington, D.C. all the time, testifying to committees, meeting with members of Congress, protecting other people's care, and fighting for his own. He's, he's a hero, and I'm so proud to know him. Peter, thank you so much for joining us on the show, and welcome today. Thank you, Paul, for your kind of introduction uh i don't even know the whole list of <laughs> things that i have uh, i've had about five spinal surgeries and uh you know uh 
unfortunately, I became disabled in, in 2007 from a, from a spinal injury. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, uh, you know, I had healthcare coverage uh, when I was going for reconstructive surgery and I had an incidental finding, as you mentioned, of uh, kidney cancer. And if they didn't find it, the kidney cancer is very, uh, um, uh, I mean, it can be very aggressive. Uh, this, in this case, it, it was an aggressive kidney cancer, uh, renal cell carcinoma. And I, 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 instead of having spinal surgery, I had uh, kidney surgery. Uh, where they removed a quarter of my right kidney. So I saved my life, and I'm here to speak with you and to continue to fight for uh, every American to have access to healthcare. That's just so powerful to me. Uh, our, our primary subject for today is misinformation and conspiracy theories in the age of COVID-19. And Peter has a very personal connection to one of those. There's been a lot of hype about the drug hydroxychloroquine, which has been promoted again and again by President Trump as, as a treatment for hydroxychloroquine. I, I'm, I'm sorry, as a treatment for COVID-19. Um, but Studies don't back up his claims. There, there's been some controversy with the studies. Um, a big one that appeared in in medical journals that that said that it actually increased the chance of death now has has been retracted. But still, the the studies are showing no benefit to COVID nineteen patients from taking taking hydroxychloroquine, and yet the president has kept pushing this as a treatment. Peter, what, tell us a little bit about your experience with it. You're on hydroxychloroquine for lupus, is that correct? I am, I am. I've been on this medication since 2014. So I've been on it for six years. And first of all, I have to say, uh, this isn't, a, I mean, there, there are, you know, there are a lot of different, obviously, medications with, with every medication has a side effect. Some, you know, when you have chronic illness, uh, you know, a lot of the discussions that you have with your doctors are about the risk benefits of a medication, um, because sometimes the, the, the benefits uh, of the medication don't outweigh the risks. And, right. and there are a lot of risks to this medication. I mean, one of the ones that they, I don't hear a lot spoken of with this it, uh, is it, this actually cause, can cause uh, retina, retina damage. Uh, I have to see a ophthalmologist twice a year uh, have like have like a complete workup, which includes a visual field test, uh, and you know the, uh, the the dilation of my eyes. Uh, I mean, this is like this is a very like this is a three hour process. This isn't something that like you just you know pop a pill and you know and then you may have this side effect. I mean, it's very involved. Um, the I mean. 
the reason that you see uh, an ophthalmologist so frequently is, is fortunately, if you find any sort of damage in time, it can be uh, reversed. But if you don't, it's irreversible. So that, you know, that was the biggest to me risk. I don't, I, I know that I, it, it, you know, I don't have cardiac issues, but I've read that it can cause cardiac issues. Um, so that to me, like, you know, when I'm, when I'm, when I'm hearing about this and, uh, you know, President Trump speaking about it, like, you know, what have you got to lose? <laughs> well, I know there's a lot you have to lose and, uh, it, you know, it, it is a very potent medication. So you could lose your life is the unfortunate answer. Yeah, I've got the, um, the side effects pulled up here, Peter. I'll just read off some of them. The common ones that just about everybody gets are uh, vomiting, headache, changes in vision, and muscle weakness, which, you know, sound bad enough uh, for something that you're just taking preventatively. And then, as you said, um, severe side effects can be allergic reactions, vision problems, and heart problems. So, some, you know, it's it's not like taking an aspirin, I guess we, we could say. No. It's, no, it's not like taking an aspirin. And, and I have to say as well, um, I take a, uh, a 200 milligram dose twice a day. And it took me about six months to acclimate to the medication. So I took a, a lower dosage every day until I was able to tolerate uh, 400 milligrams a day. And from what I understand, now I, I don't have, uh, uh, like, I can't corroborate this information, but speaking to healthcare professionals, I was told that um, patients were being given 600 milligrams a day, which is, you know, one and a half times more than I take on a regular basis. I can't even imagine that. Um, wow. So, no you know, right. They just start right off with that dose. They do. They do from what I understand. So, or, or they did, I don't know. I mean, I, I believe it, it is still being given out at, at, at you know, some places, but uh, yes. Um, the, you know, I don't think you could, I don't, <laughs> You know, you don't hear about lupus in, in the news too often. Yeah. Uh, so hearing President Trump mention the word lupus and mention hydroxychloroquine, uh, to me, I don't think it could have gotten any more personal either. Uh, yeah. he, he mentioned this in, in late March. Um, so I remember you... Um, talking on Twitter a while ago as a lot of this was going on and you were having trouble getting the medication you needed, weren't you? I was, yes. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, that, this was actually that, that thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, 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 I'm sorry, go ahead. So this actually affected your ability to, to get hydroxychloroquine to treat it for, for a condition that it is proven to help. Yes, 
Yes. And what it, what it, what it does for me, I mean, and other uh, people with lupus, I mean, it, it's used by a lot of people in the autoimmune community for different conditions, uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, uh, it, what it does is it, it prevents my, it prevents a uh, lupus flare, which um, basically prevents inflammation uh, to my body. So since I've been on this medication, I've received it in uh, 90 day supplies. So in March, I was told by my pharmacist that I could, they could only offer me a 30 day supply. And, you know, new patients, like with people who were historically on it, like myself, were receiving 30 day supplies and new patients were only receiving two week supplies. So I assume that those were COVID patients. And I said, what happens in 30 days? And he said, I don't know. Well, I found out what happened in 30 days. I didn't get any medication. So I had to, I had to, I mean, I, you know, I consider myself, I guess, a resourceful person from my advocacy and, you know, tracking down. And I, I think of all the people that don't have those resources or, you know, I've spoken to people who still haven't had this medication since about March. So yeah, yeah, so there's, it's very disturbing, very alarming. Um, You know, I had people reaching out to me on Twitter saying, you know, I don't really need this medication as much as you do. And I'll send my medication to you. And I I mean, first of all, I could never in good conscience accept that medication. Um, I, 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 I was, I don't know if I was deeply touched or completely alarmed from just, you know, right. I mean, yeah. uh, Paul, Paul, you not, you and I have testified together and, you know, when we, when we testified together, I testified for, uh, people who have shared their stories with me, people who are, who take insulin, diabetics who take insulin yes. and, you know, about people choosing between buying groceries and, you know, paying for insulin yeah, uh, or some people choosing not to take it at all because they just couldn't afford it. And I never thought that I would be someone who would have such difficulty just getting access to my health care. It's just, it was, it, it's, 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 just a whole other level when you don't have that access to the medication that you need you know it it just you just i it it was it lasted for three weeks and it was it was it was it was frightening sure Something I think is really, uh, um, and I think maybe it would benefit our listeners to know about um, this, is that uh, hydroxychloroquine, um, you know, this idea of using it for a new uh, disease is is not unusual, right? I mean, when we have these novel viruses pop up, our doctors and and healthcare professionals are going to be trying to fight it with, um, you know, anything that's in their arsenal, right? And um, I, I, in preparation for this, I, I went on one of these internet rabbit hole deep dives about hydroxychloroquine, yeah. uh, which is fascinating. It's got a really interesting history where, you know, it was originally a malarial drug and yes. then, um, you know, when, uh, 
things like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, we started being able to diagnose them. Uh, doctors started using them as this kind of off-label use here for these uh, rheumatic conditions as well. But um, I think the thing that's really unique here and that I, I don't remember seeing before is this idea of, um, you know, that this one drug might help and everybody just hoarding it so crazy, especially considering there've been a lot of other drugs thrown at COVID-19 that um, people are trying to use as well. So can you talk about that a little bit, Peter, and how, um, you know, why, why has the myth built up around this one drug so much? Oh, you know, um, I, that is a very good question that I, I've, I've uh, I've only conjectured. Uh, I mean, it's been spoken about a lot. Um, I mean, the, the uh, I mean, it's this myth has been perpetuated by uh, President Trump, as of course we've heard him speak about on press conferences on a daily basis, and also by Fox News. Um, from doctors, uh, there's a doctor, uh, Daniel Wallace, who I had incredible respect for, uh, who's a uh, rheumatologist in Los Angeles, uh, who spoke about it. And, you know, he has a book that talks about the dangers of hydroxychloroquine and the warnings of hydroxychloroquine and he spoke about it and said that there were no, um, there were absolutely no side effects, which, as you mentioned earlier, is completely not true. Yeah, there most um, definitely are. Yeah, no. So I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, like, I can only assume somebody wanted to mass produce this and and profit off of it. I mean, that's the only. I would love to know the answer. I would love to know why, uh, you know, there was this hoarding going on and the lupus, rheumatoid arthritis and, and other autoimmune communities were not considered, uh, you know, important and not, uh, we didn't have uh, access to this medication and, and why they didn't, uh, put aside this medication for us as well, because we have suffered an incredible amount. So yes, I would love to know that answer to that question. I wish I had that answer. Uh, do do you have any thoughts or ideas yourself? Well, me personally, I I, I can't. Help I, I, oh, Katie, did you have something? I, I was going to say, I, my conjectures would probably be similar with Peter's that someone wanted to make, in a powerful position, wanted to make money off of this. So, I, you know, I don't know how much the president stood to profit about from this or how, how much this was just about him trying to sort of spin himself coming in with this miracle solution to save the day. But, but as we're hearing it from Peter, people have suffered because of the course on this drug. You know, I think about um, 
what you've gone through, Peter, and think about the fact that I have an older brother with lupus. He's not treated with this medication, but I've seen him go through lupus flares, and that is a brutal process to go through. And I think about myself, I'm on several medications for my transplanted kidney, and there are there are quite a few side effects there as well. Not as bad as what we're talking about with this one, but particularly with the, the steroid I'm on, prednisone, there are, there are some side effects that I have a hard time dealing with. And I have to remind myself these side effects are the trade-off for staying alive. So I hope I go through these side effects for a long time. But yeah. going through those for no reason is a horrifying thought to me. And yeah. so whether it's the yeah. people who need the drug like you and aren't or weren't getting it, or the people who are taking a drug, giving them side effects with no benefit, this is just really horrifying to me that this unnecessary suffering is going on. There's always suffering in the world, but when it's completely unnecessary, that's just horrifying and infuriating to me. Yeah. I think uh, one of the other things that makes me so upset about this and so and is so tragic about um, situations like this is that we hear about um, folks who maybe couldn't get their hands on hydroxychloroquine and so they end up taking um, other things. I, I uh, read a story about a, a couple in Arizona um, right. that found uh, they couldn't find hydroxychloroquine so they took uh, chloroquine phosphate which yeah. is supposed to treat sick fish. And, um, and they yeah. thought that would keep them from getting COVID-19 and, um, it's a related compound, but it's not exactly the same and has a different chemical structure. And, um, the, the man died and left his wife in, in critical condition, you know, and they hadn't even had COVID-19. They were taking this preventatively. And, um, it just is scary how, how easily that misinformation spreads and, um, and can have really tragic consequences for people. Well, you know, it, it's an, it's it. I, I completely agree. It was that that was. I remember that story is very horrifying. Um, you know, when you're the president of the United States, um, telling you th- there was there was something else that he said, um, and and suggested that if you were on hydroxychloroquine. Um, and you have lupus that you, he said, there's a rumor and, you know, like he was, you know, the way he loves to spin things saying that you couldn't catch COVID-19 or coronavirus. I think he said, he said, but it was one of those things. And he said, you can catch it. So like that, like, so he's basically telling me since I'm taking hydroxychloroquine and I was, I was, I was on it on my full dose at that time, this was March, that I could go outside, I didn't have to wear a mask, I could be around people who have COVID-19 and I couldn't get it because I was taking hydroxychloroquine. And, you know, I, of course, did not believe him, but there are people in, in this country or the world, you know, not even in America who would listen to that and say, oh, well, I'm taking hydroxychloroquine. So I can't, and, and I have lupus, and I, I can't catch COVID-19, which is completely inaccurate. Yeah. So, you know, we don't talk about those people too much, but, you know, I, I, that, that to me is tragic. Absolutely. 
And it, it's so horrifying to me to have, you know, um, in discussing the issue of misinformation and conspiracy theories, there's so much coming from so many different directions and you have to work to sift through what's, what's reliable, credible right. information, what isn't. And of course, with every presidency, there's disagreement back and forth on how much you trust the president and how much the president is telling the truth. But I can't remember ever before not being able to trust that the president even th thought he was looking out for the best interests of the country. And, and that's to, to have a president who seems to be more interested in his own polls or whatever than whether or not he's giving information that could kill people is a situation that I never imagined I would see. And it's really well, upsetting to... Yes. And now I'll, I was going to say, I'll, I'm, I'm going to go one step further and, you know, I should never have to testify against uh, a presidency or uh, administration for trying to sabotage healthcare one time, but in a year, a year's time, I testified three times to the sabotage of this administration to our healthcare. So yes, <laughs> I've never seen this either. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you know, just look what happened yesterday. They just rolled back uh, healthcare uh, rights for the LGBTQ community. It's yes. just this administration, you know, they, they want to go full force. I, I don't understand, you know, but I think it's important to share this type of information with other people because it's amazing how many people are, are unaware of uh, of of the, of these things that that the three of us are, are are speaking about right now. So I'm I'm so grateful that you two are are are, are talking about this, and I'm grateful for uh, you amplifying the voice of of my community, my lupus community, and uh, talking about hydroxychloroquine because uh, a lot of people are are you know, it, it goes through a new cycle and then, you know, it's still, it's still out there. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking to us and letting people know about your experience because, um, and I'm sure you, you feel the same way that people sharing their experiences is one of the strongest ways to communicate and help people understand how real people are affected by these healthcare issues. So thank you so much for being willing to talk about it, not just today, but over and over again with so many people. I know how hard it can be to, to share these deeply personal stories. And I really, it means so much to me that you are willing to dedicate so much time and put your own health on the line to help other people. And I wish more people had that kind of commitment to their fellow human being that you do. Well, thank you. I, it's, it's it's um, I'm very humbled and I, it's 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 a it's a pleasure to speak with you and um, and uh, you know right back at you just thank you you know just keep 
keep using your voice. It, it is so important. A lot of people tell me, uh, I've heard this many, many times, that they think that their voice doesn't matter, and it's simply not true. It's their voice, the only time their voice doesn't matter is when they don't use it. And every every voice, every story makes a difference, and every story should be heard. And I've tried to do that as much as I can, and I'll continue to do that. And I continue to encourage people to reach out directly to their own members of Congress and share their healthcare stories, even as uh, this uh, uh, lawsuit to destroy the Affordable Care Act moves forward in uh, the Supreme Court. Thank you so much again for joining us today. That's all the time we have. Peter, good luck in, in your activism and in your health and your life and everything. We just think about you and I wish you absolutely the best. Yeah, thanks so much, Peter. We sure appreciate you. I just want to put in one more uh, reminder to folks, don't use your medications for off-label use or take them without a doctor's oversight. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. For, yes, thank you for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Please. That's it for today. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week.